Huge good morning to everybody at Bolingbrook, 95th Street Campus, Wheaton and Hobson. And before we dive back into our series called Hosea, or about Hosea, called Crazy Love, I have something I wanted to share with you. You know our great football team is called the Bears, and I think the name Bears makes sense for Chicagoans because we tend to act like bears in the winter. We hibernate. Do you notice how people hibernate in the winter? In the cold months, everybody kind of hunkers down in their house, and very little connection between neighbors seems to occur during the winter months. But then when you said the warm water appear, you know, appearing, it's, it's like bears emerging from their den. Everybody is like, hey, good to see you again. How was the winter? You survived. Good. You know, uh, the connection with neighbors grows. There's grilling outside. Hey, come on over. Have a hot dog. There's yard work. Hey, what are you doing with the flower bed? There's kids are out of school ruling the streets again. And there is this heightened relational connection during summer days. And that represents an opportunity for the advancement of the cause of Jesus Christ. Do you see it? A few months ago, we did a series called Pearl. And I'd like to go back and just give you a little reminder. Uh, This Pearl series was not just a series. This is an ongoing strategy Uh, for our church. This represents the plan of Jesus Christ, the the strategy laid out by both the words and example of Christ on how everybody, including you, can be effective at helping people far from God come to know their maker. The plan was simple. Pray. P was for pray. Pray for them. Simple enough, everybody can cry out to God on behalf of those you know who are far far from the Lord. Your love for them grows as you pray. And then uh, this is the eat. Here's where the summer works so well. You know, this is a great time to connect with people relationally. Jesus connected with people over food, and so should we. And so in our church at all four campuses this summer, People of the Compass Church are going to be reaching out and inviting neighbors over for grilling and for pizza or whatever it may be. Will you be among them? Man, I pray that you will rise up to this call Jesus has made to all of us and that some of the dining, maybe one or two or more times in your home, will be neighbors who you invite over. So eat with them, then ask questions, you know, We Christians are known as preachers. We want to tell others how it is. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. Ask questions. Honor people by expressing interest in their lives. And we can do that. Say, I want to hear your story. And then when when you hear their story, eventually they're going to return the favor and say, now tell me your story. And so step four, reveal your story. Tell how messed up you were and are. And how Jesus has met you and changed your life. And then lastly, love. Christ called us to love, love, love people tangibly and unending. And find ways to tangibly show the love of God to your neighbors. Friends, Pearl, do it this summer. And God will use you in ways that will blow your mind. All right, so now let's return to our series called Crazy Love. And I want to start by talking about 
flowers. Uh, I, I find it fascinating to see my wife's reaction when I bring flowers. Unless you think I'm a better man than I am, I don't do it often. All right? Just wanted to be clear on that point. But when I do, Jen always just gushes, they're so beautiful. And she takes them and she looks at them and just smiles ear to ear and then rushes over to the kitchen table and clears it off, you know, wanting to give the best place of display and puts them in the middle of that table in our kitchen and backs up and just kind of uh, looks at them and gushes again about how beautiful they are. Now, I feel like talking to the flowers at that point and saying, hey, enjoy this love while you've got it because it won't last long. You're going to start to wilt in just a few days and that same woman who was telling you how gorgeous you are, she's going to turn on you and you're going to have petals that fall to the table and you're going to wilt and you're going to start to stink. And she's going to drag you out of the house to the trash can and throw you away, right? Ladies, I'm not getting down on you. Men, boys, girls, we're all this way. We tend to love that which is beautiful, wonderful, delightful. And we tend to turn on that which is ugly and gross and a mess and discard it. It's just kind of the way people roll. It's how people are treated, actually. Those who are beautiful and successful and winsome and all that, they tend to get the love. And those who are a mess tend not to get the love. And maybe you've just kind of realized it's the way it is. It's the way it's always going to be. Well, here's the problem with that. If you buy into that system, it will affect how you relate to God. Because you'll have a struggle to believe God loves you because you know you're a mess. When you present your life to God, when you say, Lord, here is my life, I am yours, what do you imagine you're presenting? Do you look like this spiritually? Are you like, oh, Lord, are you lucky to have me? Because I got it all together. You know, I'm, I'm a per-. Some people feel that way, and they are out of touch with reality. They are lacking self-awareness, because the Bible says we are all sinners, Every single one of us. We don't look like this. We look like that gross, wilted bouquet. We have violated God's laws, both in distant past and the recent days. We have failed to live up to the exalted example that Jesus has set for us. We've failed. And if you understand your failure, you may struggle to imagine God just delighting in you. Lord, why are you delighting in me? I don't delight in myself. I I disgust myself more days than not. How is it then you say you love me? When we struggle to internalize the love of God, we're making assumptions that God's love operates like human love, which loves perfect things. And it doesn't. The love of God is altogether different in shocking and beautiful ways. That's what I love about the book of Hosea, is Hosea's calling was to reveal the very unique heart of God. God said, Hosea, I need your help. These people don't get me. They think they know what I'm like and how I feel about them, and they are so wrong. Hosea, tell them how it is. And Hosea comes with this message about the scandalous, crazy love of God, the heart of God. Now, the unique thing about Hosea's ministry is that he brought a message both in his 
words and in his marriage. His marriage preached. His marriage was a disaster. His wife, whom he loved, her name was Gomer, she left him. She fell in love with another and was an adulterer. And Hosea felt the pain of abandonment. And God said, Hosea, now you know how I feel. As my people have chased after other lovers, it breaks my heart. In fact, week one was called the jealousy of God. Do you remember that? And then week two, continuing the romantic theme as God tries to explain how he feels about us, we studied the woo of God. And now week three, we're looking at the grace of God, the undeserved love. That's what grace is, undeserved love of God. And we need to understand it as revealed in Hosea. So shall we? Uh, Week one, we were in chapter one. Week two, we were in chapter two. Here we're in chapter three. Hosea three, verse one. Then the Lord said to me, Hosea is speaking. The Lord said, go show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. What's what's up with that? What's the raisin cakes? I didn't see that coming, did you? (laughs) Turns out that in ancient Israel, these false gods, these idols, were worshipped by giving them sacred raisin cakes. And apparently God's people really got into this practice. I love the raisin cakes. Let's deliver another one to the idol. And God said, stop it. Stop worshiping other gods. And friends, they were guilty of idolatry. And so are we. So am I. I don't struggle with raisin cakes. Hey, a victory. Uh, But I do struggle with so many ways not putting God number one place in my life. I'll, I'll have good seasons. But then I am allured, distracted by other, God says, other lovers and other things or other people or other activities or other possessions become our obsession and we break the heart of God. And so the message of Hosea is simple. You were made for God, for him to be the love of your life, your passion, your purpose, your reason for living. And rise up and return to that place of great fidelity to your maker. All right. So when we look at this passage, I want to highlight a couple things. Let's start with highlighting. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites. God is saying, Hosea, I need your help because the people don't understand my love. And so how about we display my kind of love in you, Hosea? What if the people need a little flesh on my love so they can see it in real life? So what if the way you love Gomer portrayed how I love my people? Can we do that? That's the vision of what's about to happen, is that God wants to display his kind of love, love from another planet, love of another kind. And for us to understand it, for us to feel it, for us to taste it, we need to see it in Hosea. And so that's what's going to happen. Hosea is going to love his wife, Gomer, as the Lord loves the Israelites. Now the problem is that 
Gomer has been gone for a long time. In fact, it's fair to speculate that she's probably been away from him for years, maybe decades at this point, okay? Uh, And what has she been? Well, let's highlight this word. She's been an adulteress. That's not new information. We learned that back in chapter 1, that though Hosea had married Gomer with high hopes of a beautiful marriage, she had fallen in love with another man and chased after uh, another guy and broke the heart of Hosea. So you say Gomer's an adulteress. We already knew that. And you may assume that that's kind of where the story ends. But as we're about to see, the digression of Gomer's life goes far beyond adultery. You ready? Verses 2 and 3. Continuing, it says, Hosea speaking, So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a letic of barley. And then I told her, you are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or intimate with any man. And I will behave the same to you. Gomer, be faithful to me and I will be faithful to you. Well, this powerful statement reveals some details in the story that are unexpected and scandalous. The first word that we need to highlight is prostitute. Uh, You say, well, I knew that she was an adulteress, but I never knew she was a prostitute. Yes, Gomer eventually turned to that hideous business of selling her body as a commodity. Wow, but it got worse than that. Friends, let's highlight this. So I bought her. Uh, this is a, you say, well, how can you buy a person? Well, in the ancient cultures, slavery was prevalent. And yes, people were purchased. Slavery back then was the result of financial debt. People would get so indebted and incapable of meeting their debts that they would become the property of their debtor. And apparently, prostitution and then slavery became Gomer's lot. Friends, as we try to put to adultery, prostitution, slavery, her story begins to be unveiled. And so let's, let's talk about it a bit. Where did it start? Her story started great. I mean, she was married to a fantastic man of God, a good and faithful husband. And she threw away what was beautiful as she ran into the arms of another. And that didn't go so well. You know, sin promises much and delivers little. And though Gomer thought, I'm improving my lot, uh, well, poverty became her end. I don't know if her boyfriend was unable or unwilling to meet her financial needs, but she found herself needing to work, and I'm hoping that she tried some noble, honorable career paths first. I'm hoping that she tried to find a skill that she could employ and make a living, but apparently that didn't work because eventually she turned to that unthinkable business of selling her body in prostitution. And I would assume, you know, Gomer was a beautiful woman. Maybe at first that business paid well. But with time, the business trajectory of all prostitutes goes down. 
as the body ages and loses its beauty, as a prostitute becomes used and washed up, the price they demand goes down and down until nobody wants them. And that's where Gomer has found herself. She has, her business has completely gone, devastated. She is a used-up prostitute so deep in debt that the final stage here is the unthinkable one, and that is losing your very humanity, becoming a commodity, traded, bought and sold on the market. And that's where Gomer is. She's being sold as a slave. You know, Hosea ministered in the northern part of Israel, and the capital city was Samaria, and that's where the slave market was. And so you could imagine that fateful day. I don't know how Hosea found out about it. Maybe it was a friend who came to him and said, hey, Hosea, I don't know if I should tell you this, but I just heard that Gomer has reappeared. He's like, wow, what's up? Well, it ain't good. You may have known about the prostitution thing. Yeah, well, she, this Tuesday, 10 a.m., at the Samaria slave market, she's being sold as a slave. Hosea said, you know what? This is my God-given opportunity. And he went to that sale, and he made a purchase. What did he pay for her? Let's highlight these two lines. So I, Hosea, bought her, Gomer, for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a lettuce of barley. Interestingly, again, this Practice of slavery is a horrific, despicable practice, but we can learn about it. I mean, it is described, not condoned, but described in the Bible. In Exodus chapter 21, verse 32, it does reveal that in those ancient days, a slave would go for, a full-price slave would go for 30 shekels of silver. And here it's only 15, half that. But you start looking at the barley. How much? How much is a homer and a lettuce of barley? That's a lot of barley. It was actually 700 pounds of barley. It's a, it's a wagon pulled by a horse, you know, just brimming with barley. Very valuable. In fact, the value of that much barley would be the equivalent of another 15 shekels of silver. So you add it together, sure enough, it's exactly the 30 shekels of silver that the passage in Exodus says was a full price for a slave. So if Hosea is willing to pay full price, why didn't he make it a little easier and just pay all in silver? Why half in silver, half in barley? Why do you think? Because he didn't have that much silver. He's bringing all he's got. This purchase is huge for him. This was not no, you know, as a prophet, preacher of the Lord, he didn't make much money, and he's emptying his pockets in this moment, bringing all the silver he's got, taking all the food he has stored for his family. He's like saying, you know, here's my watch. What will you give me for that? It's that kind of a moment where he's emptying all of his earthly possessions to buy back his wayward wife. Friends, you got to imagine this moment. In fact, can I call on you to use your imagination with me? Let's try to go there to the slave market, to the moment of this purchase. It would have been rock bottom for Gomer. In those days, they would strip a slave being sold naked so as to reveal what they're buying. And she would have been on that auction block 
naked and humiliated, old and washed up prostitute, chains preventing her from trying to escape. And there, this cold-hearted auctioneer would announce, all right, I know, she's not much, but who will buy her? And maybe some people made an offer that was low, basement, rock-bottom prices, trying to say, well, I'm not paying full price for her. But And in humiliation, she just said, I just endure this, just endure this. And then, to everybody's surprise, from the back, this guy calls out, I'll pay full price for her. 30 shekels, and I don't have it all in silver. I have it half in silver, half in barley. And people turn to say, who would do such? And they're like, it's the preacher. It's Hosea. Wait a minute. Can that be his wife? And they're putting together the points, and they cannot believe what is going down in this moment. The auctioneer announces, sold. Hosea, she's yours. And Hosea says, take those chains off of her. And they take the chains off. And he rushes the stage and wraps his coat around Gomer, holds her tight, and whispers, come home with me, darling. Be my husband again. Be faithful to me, and I will be faithful to you. Can you imagine what Gomer thought? What love is this? That's the love of God. Friends, in this sacred moment, the heart of God, the ways of God, is on stunning display. In fact, what we're witnessing is the cross of Christ. Did you see Jesus in this payment? Uh, When we look at the gospel message, the central message of Christianity, it is of a love of another kind, a price being paid out of love to win back those devastated by poor moral choices. Jesus on the cross is paying a price, just as as a Go, as Hosea said, I'm emptying my pockets. I'm giving you all I have. So Jesus said, I'm giving all I have. I'm giving my life on the cross. You say, really? Is the cross paying that? Folks, let me show you a number of passages from the New Testament that equate what we see with uh, Hosea buying back Gomer to what Jesus did for us. Ephesians 1.7, God purchased our freedom with the blood of his son. First uh, Peter 1, 18 and 19. It was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed. To redeem means to buy back. But you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ. Or in Revelations 5, 9, this is a picture of heaven where the angels are worshiping Jesus saying, you were killed and with your blood you bought people for God. Friends, the clear message of the Christian faith is that the cross of Christ is the necessary payment to free those damned for eternity, to bring forgiveness and reconciliation to their loving God. You say, why did a payment of blood need to be paid? Let me explain. Here's the deal. When we rebelled from God, when we turned on him and said, I will not follow you as king. I will do it my ways. I don't care what you say. That cosmic rebellion is a big deal. And though God's heart is inclined to forgive, he is also just. And he can't just say, let's pretend it never happened. Because it did happen. And justice must be served. 
And that's what the cross of Christ is. Justice demands the death penalty. And Jesus is our substitute, saying, Jesus is God in human flesh, coming to give all his very life, saying somehow by a miracle, transfer the guilt of the world onto my shoulders, and I will die on that cross on their behalf. And with justice served, reconciliation is extended to all. Wow. Friends, that's the love of God on display. In fact, one of my favorite verses is Romans 5, verse 8. Look at this. God demonstrates his own love. He's like, the Lord's like, you know what? You people don't understand love. You know, you have your ways of loving those who are like perfect bouquets, but the minute they're wilted bouquets, you have no love. I don't operate that way. God says, let me demonstrate my kind of love. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus paid the highest price for those who deserved it. No, for wilted bouquets of people whose lives were messed up. Friends, that's love of another kind. That's like Jesus buying a wilted bouquet for top dollar. Can you imagine buying a wilted bouquet? Imagine uh, I, I bought these flowers at the florist yesterday. And uh, there was no wilted bouquets in this refrigerated showcase. They were all gorgeous. I imagine that the minute one flower starts to wilt, they throw it away and they make sure they only sell what is perfect. But I got thinking, what if they were all perfect except for one disgusting bouquet of flowers? You know, the water's green and all the petals have fallen off and all the stems are all wilted down. It's just gross. And it's got a tag saying $100, <laughs> top dollar. And imagine further that you're there at the florist and you see a guy walk up to the refrigerated showcase and he's like, uh. and he opens it up and he grabs that disgusting blob. And very carefully, though more petals fall off, he carries it to the register with a smile on his face and puts down a crisp $100 bill and says, this is mine. You say, that's silly. No, it never happened. You're right. But don't call it silly because that's your story. Do you realize that? It's my story. We are that unthinkably messed up bouquet that was bought by Christ at top dollar. It's our story. It's our reality. The story of Hosea and Gomer, that's our story. You're not Hosea. You're the prostitute, the washed up, sold into slavery prostitute. That's us. And we're the ones in humiliation on that auction block going, I can't believe my life has come to this. And it's the voice of Jesus in the back saying, I want him. I want her, and I am willing to pay everything to purchase their freedom, to bring them back to me, to establish love and fidelity once again. Friends, do you see that as your story? Because it is, and if you don't, you'll be messed up in your thinking about yourself and about life. I I know there's still people who try to prove that they're not the wilted uh, bouquet or the enslaved prostitute. There are people who want to say, no, 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 God, you're lucky that you have me. I'm perfect. No, you're not. You're a mess. 
The Bible says we're all sinners. Every one of us is messed up. And best for us to just realize our place in the story and own it. Hi, I'm Jeff Griffin. I am one messed up dude. And I would add, dearly loved by God. Messed up, dearly loved. And you say, how can those go together? You're right, they wouldn't go together if it was the world system. But it's not. It's the love of God. It's the love of another kind, from another planet. It's grace-based love. And when you enter into that story, you don't have to pretend anymore that you're perfect. You can own. I'm a mess. But oh, am I loved. I think some have a hard time saying those things together because it's not the world you've lived in. You know, maybe you were, as a young person, living with a chronic sense of your parents' disappointment with you. Maybe you knew, man, I have not lived up to their expectation and it's just kind of hanging over your head. Maybe it's your spouse. You are a chronic disappointment to your spouse. They convey it, you know it, you live with it. Or maybe your boss, you know, you're just perpetual disappointment. And you assume God's that way. You're like, yeah, Lord, I'm a messed up person. I'm just imagining you always upset. That's not true. You're imagining what is a non-reality. If you're a Christian, the Lord adores you even in your broken state. And you shouldn't imagine this shame hanging over your head. You should imagine the smile of God hanging over your head, shining down on you each and every day. You should be like my son Jake at a soccer game. Uh, Jake, uh, it's so funny, just finished another season of soccer. And one of his last games, I was cheering him on, and he was on defense, and Boom! He kicked that ball so far. It was a fantastic kick. And he stopped playing the minute he kicked the ball. And he turned to the sidelines. And he's like, hey, Dad! <laughs> yes, Jake? Did you see that kick? I go, Jake, that kick was awesome. Hey, go play and do it again. You know, and I try to get him. And if you watch my son play the game, he plays a little, makes eye contact with me to make sure I'm watching and cheering him on. Run a little looks at me. He loves soccer and leaps and enjoys the whole game, but his favorite part is basking in the constant delight of his father. That's the Christian life, or at least it's supposed to be. We were made to dance and sing our way through life, knowing that he's there, the father's there, gazing with loving eyes, celebrating me. And you say, but I'm playing poorly. Doesn't matter. You've never loved you because you're a beautiful, perfect bouquet. You're the wilted flowers that he paid the ultimate price for. Friends, if you enter into the grace of God, not just cognitively, not just uh, it's a concept I study, but I pray it'll become the life you live. I have to close this study with a prayer that is an invitation for people to receive this freedom Jesus paid the price to give. Uh, Some, though, are regular in attendance at our church. 
they're not true Christians. They've grown up in church. They may even call themselves a Christian. But until you look Christ in the eye and say yes to his offer, you're not a true Christian. Your reality, imagine this, you're on the slave block. You're the used up prostitute being sold. And and all of a sudden the auctioneer comes up to you and says, hey, good news. Someone arrived and they've just paid for your freedom. They don't want you as a slave. They want to set you free. They want you to come to him and share love and life with him. But he doesn't want to assume you want that. So he's asked me, the auctioneer, to ask you, would you prefer to be a slave or do you want freedom and to go with him? (laughs) Do you realize that's the ultimate decision every human being has to make? Christ paid the price. He died for everybody question is, will we receive it or not? (laughs) And when you understand, at least for me, it's a no-brainer. Yes! Yes, I want forgiveness. Yes, I want freedom from eternal despair. Yes, I want reconciliation with my loving God. Of course! And I pray you'll say yes, even now, as we pray. Would you bow with me? Uh, Here we are, Lord. We realize that we are a mess on the auction block. And it's not pretty. Our lives have not been morally perfect. They've been a mess. We just own it. But Jesus Christ, we hear your voice crying out, I'll pay the full price. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, thank you, thank you. This is love of another kind. Love we cannot believe, but we do choose to believe in it. And so, Christ, we say yes to this incredible offer. Take our broken lives. Apply your payments to us. Wash us. Clean us of our sin. Forgive us. And bring us home into friendship with you both now and for all eternity. We say yes. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.